Yes, we're talking to Andy Murray, um, uh, with a forward by his brother, Bill Murray, with an absolutely fantastic name, the book, that is, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, <laughs> subtitled The Feast of Family Fun and Favorites. And Andy, I had so much fun reading this. For me, it was like a, a walk down memory lane. I mean, Jello salads. <laughs> oh, Jello salad, aspic. Who eats aspic anymore? Actually, I know some people who still do. So yeah, I know too. But it's. I mean, well, you you were in Chicago, um, but and but I grew up um, with a lot of of large Catholic families, and everybody always seemed to be having such a good time. And you did well, too. That's what you- yeah, you got to have a good time. Otherwise, what are you going to do? It's like we had, a, you know, we had nine, there's nine brothers and sisters, and uh, you know, sitting around the dinner table at our house was, uh, it was a big deal. We we had to be there from Sunday through Thursday. We had to be at that dinner table, or you were in trouble. Friday and Saturday, mom and dad, let's do what we wanted. But when you get eleven people around the table, there is some, there's usually some pretty good conversation. Yes. Right. No, no. Regardless of the fact that it sounds like it, you do not have a relative who plays tennis. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's my skinny alter eagle. Uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, he's Scottish. I, I, when I'm with my Scottish friends instead of my Irish friends, I tell them I, you know, there was once an Andrew Murray was king of Scotland, so I'll, I'll tell people I'm royalty, you know, from Scottish folk, <laughs> if they're from Scotland. Otherwise, they don't care. <laughs> You know, the um, for people like me, as I said, it's, it's this wonderful nostalgia trip. Um, and the, what augments that whole thing is you have fabulous vintage family photos throughout, and and they're just absolutely a joy to to look at. Um, did oh, you just no, have them all one. saved? Hmm? My sisters have boxes and boxes. You know, after my mom passed, the, the sisters kind of split up every all the pictures because the brothers were moving around. They said, "Okay, well, you guys be in charge of them, and when we need them, we'll come find them." But I, there were some pictures of my mom. My mom was a babe. I didn't realize what a babe my mom was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She sure was. <laughs> and and I, um, she handled everything with with a great finesse too. I mean, she, she had great dignity, and uh, you know, she instilled uh, a lot of values. Our parents instilled values in us at a very early age, and uh, we we follow them to this day. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated is because I don't think people do that much anymore. Uh, we, you mentioned about people do not always do the large family dinner anymore. But along with that is um, some people don't even have, I mean, I know people with large families that just put, you know, one of those, um, what are they called, islands, and they put the food on. And, and everybody in the family walks by and if they feel like taking something, they do, you know. Well, there's, just, yeah, there's some people don't even do that. Right, and then and the other thing is, you mentioned that um, you you know you have great great table manners. See, other thing that seems to be gone. I mean, don't you think? Oh yeah, my you know elbows on the table. There were no elbows on the table. My father, 
you t- I always wondered if he had an extra long arm or something because he could, <laughs> he could just take the end of his, you know, the the, the heavy end of his of his knife and just tap you on the on the elbow and you hit the funny bunny. Yeah, whoa! And you know, once <laughs> that, that happens, then you won't be putting your elbows on the table anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, and there were other things having to do with table banners that seemed to have just slipped by the board altogether. I don't know. Um, what, is, what is it, though? Um, your, your family was always food-focused, too. Well, food kind of fixes everything. You know, you, get, you have nine kids, uh, and kids, they're always hungry. I mean, my, you know, we come home from school, and, and Dad didn't get home till 6, so we had to, you know, put three hours there, and we're looking for something. And Mom, she always had about eight, nine loaves of bread in the house and said, here, there's peanut butter, there's mayonnaise, there's jelly. There's, oh, yeah, there's, that's there's your, there's signature, so, your signature yeah, sandwich. I can't peanut sandwich. butter with mayonnaise and lettuce. You've got to have the crunch for the lettuce. But, yeah, oh, no, I can still, I can make that sandwich in any of my brother's houses, and they will slide over and move me out of the way and take it. <laughs> no, yeah, it has to be a particular brand, though. If I read well, the book correctly, crun- crunchy, crunchy, crunchy peanut butter is what we really like. So yeah, you know, the smooth, smoothest fine for certain things, but you know, you got it for cookies, whatever. But uh, crunchy—that's you need crunchy peanut butter for that uh, uh, that sandwich. The there, was Hel- that the there was some Hellmans in there somewhere, though. Oh, there was definitely Hellmans. Boy, Hellmans. Uh, uh, when we discovered helmets, I mean, we, you know, in the beginning there was, uh, you know, they had Miracle Whip, and it wasn't quite yeah, the same. Yeah, I, I remember Miracle Whip. Hell <laughs> yeah, it's still out there. But when my mom switched to helmets, it was like, whoa, a light went on, and we went, okay, well, that's the last we'll ever see a Miracle Whip in this house. You know, we still have um, the Duncan Fife drop leaf dining room table from my childhood. You have one too. Oh, my sister has it now. <laughs> my sister has it now, and it, but you yeah, know the, a, the, the thing that really got me there was the damask tablecloth that fit when you had all the leaves in. You oh know? yeah. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. I mean, we, we we tried using that, and um, we we did find a um, a laundry that did those. Those tape, those tablecloths. You know? Yeah, you have to take them out, and then they and they and they have them iron them for you. you yeah. Know, so. <laughs> oh, you bet. But my mother, my mother had a secret. As, as the as the tablecloths got older, and and went into holes, <laughs> she she would put she would put sheets of white paper underneath the holes. Well, yeah, that would that definitely would work. Sure, yeah. Or if they spilled they spilled something on it, you know, there would be a there would be a clean handkerchief placed on top or something like that. Yeah. Now you you have a broad range of age in your siblings, and you're right smack in the middle. Um, well, I'm did... one of the, I'm one of the three little boys. It, there's 18 years difference from top to bottom. Okay. Uh, and my oldest brother Edward and the youngest brother is Joel, but. Uh, Joel, Johnny, and I were the three little boys. That's what they uh-huh. called us, uh, even though we're all bigger than everybody else. <laughs> in the yeah, and then you have um, the, my best friends had the, the span in age too. 
um, Gretchen, who I, I still talk to, I've known her since second grade, uh, and um, her eldest sibling became a nun. And, and I was reading about your sister that became a nun. And, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and still is a nun. Uh, sister Nancy. Nancy's yeah. a nun. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. But uh, I was, you know, my mother expected me to be the priest. She didn't expect Nancy to be the nun. That caught her <laughs> off guard. <laughs> my, my friend Gretchen's sister, um, I can't what is her name now. I mean, her, her convent name. Um, they uh, they used to call her the students used to call her the crusher. <laughs> she reminded oh. me of that nun, the, the head of the convent that caught you with the uh, tomato. Oh yeah, that was uh, Sister Bertina Bertina. But uh, my sister Nancy, she was when she taught high school. She taught high school and, and for a long time, and, and then went to another part of the city. But uh, her student, she was a drama teacher. And her teacher, her students loved her. She, she's the first one to tell you she's the only one in the family with a degree in drama. Uh, <laughs> but she, uh, she's, a, she's something special. She really is. Yeah. Now, what, what is this? That there's a genetic strain running in your family um, about food, uh, about music, and about drama. And also, I would have to say, comedy <laughs> oh there's a lot of comedy well you know at the dinner table at our house you know you got 10 people or 11 people around the table you got nine kids ed brian nancy peggy billy laura andy john joel and we're all you know my dad was at the end one end my mom's at the other end and my dad had a very dry sense of humor and but so he knew what was funny he knew what was good and so if you could get him to laugh you knew you were doing something good, and, and so and when you you weren't making him laugh, you were you know taking one you know one liners going for one of your brothers or sisters. So you were ducking a lot, you know. But that that worked, and the music, yeah, we we the music came from my mom. Uh, her side of the family were you know they had the Irish tenors, and she had this beautiful voice, and so we all we all like to sing. Yeah, it, it's great, and and the acting, you know, it's not just Billy, it, it, Brian, Brian. Doyle Murray, uh, you know, he wrote the Caddyshack. Uh, he started it. was based on us growing up, and along with Doug Kenny and then Harold Ramis, and they, they finished and made it into a movie. But then there's also my brother Johnny's got been in the movies, and uh, Joel has uh, been on multiple TV shows, and uh, he's on that Who's, you know, he's on a Who's Live Anyway tour right now. He's, he works probably more than any of us. Right. Um, you have you ended up. You're the only one that ended up a professional cook, right? Yes, I am a professional cook, and uh, but I'm kind of semi. You know, I had a man tell me he said, you know, you should let your managers because now now that I have two restaurants, you should let your managers do more of the, the work and, and quit micromanaging. And I just you know you should just be kissing babies and shaking hands. And I was, <laughs> well, I. Could, I can do that, and it it really it's it's it took a load off. So I can I'm able to enjoy myself. I'm able to go away in the summertime like I want to, and it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, the, the restaurants are where, Bill. I've got one restaurant. They're both called Murray Brothers Caddy Shack. One's in St. Augustine, Florida, uh, which is just south of Jacksonville, and the other one is the uh, 
in Rosemont, Illinois, which is right next to O'Hare Field, uh, O'Hare Airport uh, in Chicago. Oh, that's a big distance to travel between. Huh? You, you, you know what? I, 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 do it, I do it about four times a year. I drive back and forth. I like it. I like, I like road trips. But you, you, you speak a lot in your book about a restaurant called Mortimer's. And if I'm Mortimer's was a yeah Mortimer's was a uh, a famous watering hole in Manhattan. It was like okay. it was the corner it was like the corner saloon for the the rich and the high society people. Uh, that's where they hung out. It was Jackie Onassis. It was Brooke Astor. It was you know the King of Spain would come for dinner and Princess it's Margaret. Princess and, Margaret, we loved the Princess Margaret. So oh, for years was, now. For years, she was, a, she was wonderful. She was a, a serious chain smoker. You know, she when yeah, she well, came, the, you know, you, you I love that because still smoking a, you, you know, still Peter's English. Peter's uh, English, and and he's his comment when we first met was the thing that amazed him the most about Americans was that they would chain smoke even through dinner, and and uh, and the English wouldn't do that. And here you know, noted that Margaret did that. Oh, Margaret always had a cigarette gone, and she liked her meat well done. Yeah, you know. I gathered that. So, um, but let's back up a little bit. And you, you learned to cook from your mother. Uh, she had you make bacon. At what age? Yeah. Well, I was four, and my mom realized I was always hanging around, you know, her her apron strings, and she said, "Well, you know, maybe it's time you learn how to do something here." Uh, because everybody does something when you got nine kids. And she said, I want you to learn how to make bacon. And, and once I did, I really, I took to it right away. And I realized also that, you know, when you cook for nine people, 10 people, you have to make, you know, three pounds of bacon at a time. My mother, you know, and we did, I did it all in a skillet. I didn't do none of that oven stuff, but, um, it was, uh, I also realized, you know, if you're making the bacon, you get to eat extra bacon because you get to eat it when it's not looking. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, our granddaughter's crazy about bacon. So, so Everything's who, better. Who was, who, was, who was the guy who wrote several books about bacon? Was it right. Oh, or I, like that? Yeah, I can't remember his name offhand. Okay, uh, you, you, you remember the book, though. You probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I'll, anything with bacon, I'm always looking at. Somebody go by at Christmas. I I've I've gotten multiple years. I've at Christmas. I've gotten bacon of the month clubs. You know. Have you? Yeah. Um, you know, we had a um, a friend in Australia when we were leaving Australia because we were living in Australia. We were coming back to the states, and she gave us a a, a wooden thing of. Um, uh, one pig mounting another pig, and it was called making bacon. <laughs> making bacon, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, 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 it's well, how, how did you? I mean, first of all, you had to focus in on um, the, the cooking side rather than your acting and musical side. Um, how did you? Do that. Tell us a little bit about how you became a serious chef at Restaurateur. Well, you know, when I started, a friend of mine asked me to cover from. I was only 11 years old, and okay. he was a busboy at, at the corner diner, and uh, he was going on a vacation with his family and needed somebody to, to take uh, care of his job. Otherwise, he was going to lose it. So I went there, and I did it. And I came in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and 
the first thing they asked me was, well, what do you want for breakfast? And I'm thinking, you know, when I, cause I was caddying before that. And when you caddy, you don't eat until you've made some money, you know, at the end of the day. And I was one of the youngest caddies, So I was one of the last to get out, but this, I was getting, I fell in love with the restaurant business that day because it's like, you can eat when you walk in and you can eat during the day. Well, this is great. I like this. And, you know, then, then, you know, then I started washing dishes and I can still wash dishes pretty darn good. And then uh, by, the, by the time I was 14, I was a short order cook at this, this corner diner. And it was a busy, busy restaurant because it was across the street from a Catholic church. And so on Saturday, Saturday, late Saturday afternoon and Sundays, you know, there was masses every hour and <laughs> they would come, they would just come on over afterwards and you'd get, you'd get slammed. And the, so you learned how to, you learned how to cook and you learned how to move fast and you learned how to not burn yourself and, and not burn the guy next to you. So I, that's what I really enjoyed the, the energy of level that you got and the high that you got off of the knocking out a lot of food. Now, I was in, I was intrigued by the the place where golfers used to stop and take take in some carbos in order to get get them through the through the round. To, to the halfway house. More, yeah, the halfway house. Oh describe yeah. Describe the hub. <laughs> describe the hub. Halfway well, house. the halfway house is, you know, it's, it's right after you finish the ninth. You've got 18 holes, and right after the 19th hole, usually at most courses, there's somewhere where you can get a hot dog or, or, or some kind of egg salad sandwich or a pimento sandwich or something like that. And But uh, we started eating hard-boiled, and they have hard-boiled eggs, and Brian got us going on hard-boiled eggs at, instead of eating hot dogs after a while. And our game got better for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, you know it's always a good place to you know stop get, grab something grab a drink and then keep moving and and hopefully the back nine will be better than the front nine. <laughs> some some of the guys on the tour seem 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 so they've been at the halfway house table for quite a long time. Well, there's some guys out yeah they 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 they. They don't play real fast in the pros. They just don't play fast at all. I've, it's amazing how slow they go. They they do take their time, but they've got food. There's there's some kind of energy. Most of them are they're pretty good athletes now, and so you know they don't need any junk. They only have really protein bars and bananas, and they got the healthy stuff that um, you know every hope these guys can eat. Yeah, no. Um, of course, that's the other strain that runs through your family is this the, the uh, your passion for golf. And um, just about everybody plays, right? Yeah, my sisters don't play, but they they enjoy watching it. But mm-hmm. they don't play. But my all the brothers play, and uh, we can, we're all we're, you know most of us can you know if we can't break ninety, we're in the low nineties, you know. So it's it's pretty good. Now, my oldest brother Edward was real good. The next generation coming, <clears throat> excuse me, is. Uh, our sons, my my son is a really good golfer. Edward's sons are really good golfers. Uh, Joel's kids are, are are very good. Uh, I think my son's probably the best of all of them. Though. So, <laughs> no, no prejudice there. No, no, oh, no, none at all. No, he he actually is. We just we went to Ireland last year. Uh, uh, all the brothers and nephews, and uh, it was he was just. It was, you know, there's certain courses in Ireland are like playing on the moon. We had such a wonderful time, but he was just beating all of us. 
Yeah, we love Ireland. We love food in Ireland too. You know, it used to be a joke, like English food was a joke. But well, but we had a lot of chefs had, are really good. We actually had lunch at a, at a golf resort. I have a I have a feeling that uh, Mr. Trump might have had a stake in this particular restaurant, but we we didn't see much golf being played. But we did enjoy a lot of the food that was on the menu. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I've never, I never played any of his courses, uh, but uh, there was, we had some, we, we were up in Mayo and uh, we did Dublin, Mayo, Sligo. Uh, it, we had just a fabulous time. There was sixteen of us on this trip, and uh, it, it was, we were, we had, we just laughed and laughed. Uh, we, we played a lot of golf, ten courses in ten days. Well, we, we, we regularly covered the. Um uh, the food and wine festival called Food on the Edge, Fote, uh which is based in Galway. And uh, love uh, Galway, love. Uh, we loved it too, and and we loved being because we used to um, interview in the field, you know, with a recorder and stuff. And uh, it was always such a joy because the Irish are such good storytellers. <laughs> it was great. Oh <laughs> getting yeah, the interviews. You, you buy them a pint of Guinness, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll talk your ear off. Sure, not a problem. Uh-huh. So, um, now, when did you get really serious about cooking? What turned you into a serious chef? Uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, very early 20s, I was, I decided, you know, after cooking, I was in Chicago. I worked in different restaurants with different people. And I realized I really needed to get better, and I was going to go uh, to the Culinary Institute in New York. Uh, so I had planned to go out there, and I had talked to them. They said, yeah, yeah, come on out. I said, we'll get you in. And uh, I went out, and my brother Bill was doing Saturday Night Live at the time. Um, and so I went to his show, and there was a, a couple, a French guy named Eric Prejean and his wife Kitty, and they did the catering for Saturday Night Live for for you know, all the, the, the cast. Mm-hmm. And, but they also, in the summertime, they had this, this two-star restaurant out on Shelter Island, which is out, you know, in the fork of the Hamp, by the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, well, and me, you don't have to do that. You can work for me. I will teach you everything, and you don't need school. And so I came up, I showed up there on uh, the day after uh, Memorial Day and basically became an indentured servant. You know, I lived in the basement. <laughs> And uh, I would go out and I would, you know, at the North Fork at that time, they had, they, it wasn't that developed. It was all farmland. And so they had all these farmers and farm stands. And I would go out there and hit all those stands and get produce and bring it back to the restaurant. Or I, I'd be going out to the docks of the fishing boats and, and, and getting the fish and bringing that mm-hmm. back for, for uh, that night or the, you know, the weekend uh, out on Shelter Island, you know, you know, being in the summer in the Hamptons is not too bad, you know. No, we used to do that all the time. We a group of us would take a house, and uh, and it was a communal cooking kind of situation. And it was always great food and great parties. Yeah, we used to have oh, fun. Yeah. So, you you remember that chef David? Was it David Pasternak? Who oh yeah, David from Long Island. And he, he he had a wonderful dish on his menu, which was uh, swordfish. 
Oh, yeah, the swordfish is great. For some reason, Long Island seems to get more better swordfish than anywhere else. I don't know why. I mean, well, I used to go out and I'd meet these fishing boats, and these, you know, you had you see a swordfish in a restaurant, it says they cut it in a little piece. It's a big, big fish. Oh, yeah, and, and, I love it. You know, and, it's like, and I'd take a piece, of, you know, that was like a foot wide and a, a foot long, and it was like, wow. Uh, yeah, you have fish for the weekend for that, that kind of cut. Well, I want to say that you have um, drinks also in this book. Um, like you said, your mother liked old fashions. You old fashioned yeah, in here. Did. Yeah, and, Lucille's old fashioned. It, you know, she didn't. My parents didn't drink a lot, but when my mom went out, she liked you know Manhattan, but she really liked old fashions. And some old fashioned. They make a lot of old fashions in Wisconsin. People, you go up to people in Chicago will go up to Wisconsin in the summertime, and that's a big drink up there. But it's a big drink in Chicago too. They just yeah. I'm like old fashioned, and so we got that, and uh, we also have the the Bloody Bowl, which is a combination yeah. of beef beef broth and. and uh, 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 Bloody Mary, your own your favorite Bloody Mary mix, and some some vodka and some uh, some accoutrements to it, and shake it up, and boy, that and the chicken hash, you know, that will that'll cure your hangover pretty quick. Well, you know, listeners, there are recipes in this book that will take you back to the day or back in the day or whatever the expression is now. I mean, I don't know when the last time was I ever saw a recipe for pineapple upside-down cake, but here's one. <laughs> you know, right after bacon, it wasn't long after my mother had me making bacon that she taught me how to make the pineapple upside-down cake. And, you know, that and German chocolate cake are my two favorite cakes. So, yeah, and it's just if you can, if you get the butter and, 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 and the brown sugar and, and the pineapple all caramelizing in the right way, boy, it's a, it's a great dessert. Yeah, you, I, was, I was intrigued that you, you had a, a close neighbor who was in a totally different business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Mr. Mr. Blass made killer meatloaf, right? Bill Blass was a really a nice man. He was a guy's guy. He, you know, I, I got to know him because he, he knew the boss of uh, mine at Mortimer's. But he was, uh, he was just a fabulous dresser. Boy, I wish I had his clothes still. But he was, he was a nice man, and, you know, back then they all smoked cigarettes, and he smoked cigarettes like a movie star. Uh, he was something else. Uh, but his meatloaf is great. And he did. He lived uh, about 100 yards down the road from Brian. Uh, not even 100 yards. Maybe it was 50 yards. But uh, just a, a, a very nice man. And, yeah, his meatloaf is killer. <laughs> um, the... But I was going to just about to say something, and then I lost my train of thought here. Um, I wanted to point out that um, you have little helpful chef's notes uh, throughout the book, as well as the uh, the photographs of the food and the vintage photographs. Um, and, and you also have recipes which you solicited from your um, your, your family, your siblings, right? Oh yeah, my sister yeah. Peggy. I, my sister Peggy's a wonderful cook, and, and Laura also. But uh, yeah, Peggy's Peggy's baked beans are like. Yeah, that's. That you, I like that say, story that you told. Uh, listeners, he also has amusing stories. Uh, this um, a, 
of wit and humor runs through all of his narrative in this book. Uh, and, and you had a great story about your sister's black um, baked beans. Uh, well, I don't know which story. There's so many stories of my Well, the one I, where you screwed it up by altering the recipe. Oh, my sister, well, my, first off, my don't change any recipe of my sister. She just does it. She goes, you screw with the recipes, you will screw it up, and it won't be any good. And and it's true. I, I, I made those baked beans one time. I said, well, you know what? This could use a couple more tomatoes. And it just, it was like soup then. It did not, <laughs> it did not set up right. It but, you know, you make that and you set it up. It's got a pound of bacon, a pound of sugar and beans, and you put it in the oven before you go to bed. And when you wake up, the whole house just smells glorious. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the other recipes that you have, um, that you have people commenting on, There's one was a secret recipe that a neighbor, some, your sister got from a neighbor. And then it's up at a oh, community. Oh, yeah, the, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, what I'm course. aiming at is I want to get give our listeners a sense of um, the, 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 it's not just a cookbook, um, and it's not just a reference to a lot of nostalgic um, recipes and times and traditions, but it's also a good um, portrait of a family in that period of time. Um, and, and, and the recipes are going to be things that are familiar, um, crowd pleasers. Is that kind of what you were aiming for? I was trying, yeah, crowd pleasers. I was trying to make it simple so people could not be afraid. There's a lot of people who think, you know, you've got to be a brain surgeon to cook, and it's not. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. You just, you just you read the recipe through once. You prep all your stuff ahead of time. You follow the instructions, and it can get done, and it'll be wonderful, and people think you're a fabulous cook. But, you know, I, I wanted – I had a lot of stories and family stories, and, and, and certain foods remind me of these stories, so I, would, I tried to put them together. Uh, and I think it worked pretty good. Yeah, I think it worked. I think it worked, and um, I thank you for talking to us about it, uh, Andy. And, and I'm, I'm wishing you – um, much and much deserved success with this book, uh, and, oh, and with yeah, and really, I mean, I just I just had a ball reading it. So, anyhow, thank you so much for having me. It was it was this has been a joy to be on, and you guys are wonderful. And I hope you guys have a great holiday season. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm in Chicago. I'm getting ready to head south to some warm weather in Florida. Oh, you mean the the, the uh, storm's gone? <laughs> Yeah, what, well, by the what, time I get there, the storm will be all gone. Yeah. yeah what, what, Jeff, which, go, which coast you're on? Uh, I'm on the Atlantic coast. I'm uh, I'm going to St. Augustine, which is just south of Jacksonville, north of there Daytona. You go, sure. well, yeah, and they yeah, the town in the United States or something like that. Oldest city in America. They, it, I think it's 454 years old now. 450th birthday. They, the king and queen of Spain came over for it. Oh, wow. Well, Andy Murray, again, listeners, is called Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, uh, and it's a, a feast of family fun and favorites, and you, you'll love getting to know the family and what fun you must have had. Thank you, oh, Andy. I enjoy it all. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday season. You too. Bye-bye. 
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Eloise Brion, you have an interesting and complicated um, life set. <laughs> and style. <laughs> we're, we're going to be talking to you about your new book, My Art of Entertaining, Recipes and Tips from Miss Maggie's Kitchen. Uh, Eloise Brion, that's a French name, and I guess we could start with, you are French and an American, is that it? Exactly, exactly. I was born in France, um, and uh, we moved uh, to uh, the U.S. Uh, when I was eight years old. Oh, okay. So well, I, your family's yeah. French. So, so you're you are updating um, familiar recipes or style. Uh, some of them, yeah, some of them, and some of them are in, in, uh, you know from the ones that come up that I come up with um, in my head. Uh, but um, I did. My mother didn't cook much when I was younger. <laughs> it, it was more with my grandmother. Okay, interesting. Um, now, Eloise, Eloise is a rather, a rather famous historical name in France. Of course, yeah, with Eloise and Abelard. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it's now, a wonderful story. Now you, you have, as I said, a complicated... Didn't have a, didn't have a happy ending, though. Yeah. No, but they're together. You know, they rest in peace together at the Père Lachaise, which is, you know, there's a very romantic side to it. They're back together. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. Go ahead, Serena. Well, no, I was just going to say, um, the, just the, since I said you had a complicated lifestyle and background, um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that and bring them all up to speed? Yeah, so like I said, I was I was born in France, but I, then we moved to the U.S. And so um, I grew up in in uh, Jupiter, Florida, and uh, where my mother still lives. And uh, so during the day, I was in an American school, but um, at home we were a very French family and had our you know uh, uh, dinners together and and uh, and the roast uh, chicken on Sundays and everything. So it was a very sort of traditional uh, French uh, lifestyle at home. Um, we would go back every summer to visit family and friends and have a you know big table full of uh, delicious food and go to the farmers markets and everything. Um, and so I've been sort of between both countries. I actually um, I went to school in Boston after I graduated from high school, and uh, and then after that did a trip around the world with a program called Semester at Sea. Oh, I know and Semester after at Sea. Yes. Yeah, wow. it was wonderful. Such an amazing experience. So that was in the spring of 1998. Um, and, of course, there it was a great way to discover, you know, food from around the world and the markets and, the, you know, delicious products and spices and everything. Um, and after that, this experience, I decided to move back to France. And it was originally just for a few months um, because I had this, um, this uh, like, dream of buying, you know, a fresh, warm baguette every day and taking the metro <laughs> and, and going to cafes and everything. So... That was um, in July '98, and uh, I meant for it to be a few months and then come back to the U.S. And I'm still there for now. Anyway, well, we live in Normandy now with my husband and two kids. Um, okay. But we're actually thinking of you know 
coming back this on this side, you know, of the lake, um, moving back to the U.S. So we're working yeah, on I don't, Normandy's one area I don't know at all about France. I, I've never uh, never spent any time there. Um, but I just got a, um, a, an email from um, a, a friend of mine who he has a, um, a an apartment in um, where is he? Where is he in Paris? Anyhow, um, and the Marais. He's in the Marais. Oh, then he he was complaining. Yeah, it was such a great place, yes. But he was complaining that um, Americans have started messing around with the tipping system, and he's very unhappy about that. (laughs) All these people are now expecting to be tipped that were never tipped before. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's a different way of doing it there, but for sure. For sure, they do expect it now. Yeah. You know. Um, but we used to live in Paris. Um, we lived in, in, in Paris until 2019. And then um, that's actually when, uh, you know, we decided to move to, Mar- we had our house in Normandy. And Miss Maggie is actually our home there because when we bought it in 2015, it's sort of this like old home built in uh, 1895. Um, and it sort of looks like an old British woman in the middle of the countryside. And so we had nicknamed it right. Miss Maggie. Um and then oh, when I assisted okay. so because I was just going to ask you to, yeah. yeah, I was just going to ask you to explain <laughs> who, what, or how, yeah. why, Miss Maggie. <laughs> so that's yeah, it. Miss Maggie's the home. <laughs> so that's um, the backstory yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah, so you, yeah. And at the end of, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I wondered. I, I the notes I have say that you you started out and spent 15 years in fashion before discovering your passion for food and entertaining. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, actually, when I first moved back to, to Paris, I, uh, I worked for uh, a few years at the International Herald Tribune um, and then um, left it and went to work in fashion. And it, was never, it had never been a, like a little girl's dream to work in fashion. But um, a couple of editors there thought that I would be really good at it. And so uh, it was a beautiful experience. It allowed me to travel, to go to fashion shows in New York and London, Milan and Paris. It was very exciting. Um, but I think that um, if I, you know, I wasn't listening to that little voice inside of me that was saying, but you love uh, creating recipes and, <laughs> and uh, imagining beautiful tablescapes. And, and I was like, I could never live from that. You know, like it's, a, it's like sort of like a hobby or something on the side or something I, I love to do for friends and family. And then um, I stopped working in fashion in 2016, the year I turned 40. And, uh, and sort of naturally, Miss Maggie's Kitchen came to be, you know, my yeah. husband sort of pushing me to share my recipes with uh, with friends and family and, you know, starting a website and then uh, social media and everything. So that's really how it began. It wasn't really planned. What are you going to do about Twitter? <laughs> Talk about Twitter. Oh, gosh, I'm not apart. on Twitter yet, and I'm not on, and I'm, and I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all of this already takes up so much time, you know? Yeah. Um, well, everybody's leaving en masse from Twitter, you know. Yeah, from Twitter, definitely. Hundreds, definitely. hundreds mm-hmm. quit yesterday. Well, and and the yeah. you know, the um um the the um HR department is dismantled so nobody knows who's working there who who isn't who's quit. Wow. <laughs> I love it. What Anyhow now do you think I mean we've been getting um a lot of books on entertaining, home entertaining 
And I mean, I, I thought that um, the way I grew up was um, our families entertained a lot at home. Uh, but I thought that was out of fashion, and now it's coming back again. Is that because of the pandemic that they rediscovered this or what? I definitely think that after the pandemic, I mean, people have wanted to, to gather again and, and to share, you know, special moments um, together. Uh, and I, I've always loved entertaining at home because I feel like it's, uh, it, it's, you get to create a whole atmosphere and decor for your, for your, you know, friends, family, and you, and you have all of the time in the world to spend, you know, that you wish. Because when you go to a restaurant, you know, you, you, you get served, and then you get the check, and then it's time to go. Uh, when you're at home, I mean, no one says, there's, you know, that you have to go. You're, you, you know, you can begin. I love, you know, on Sundays at home, sometimes we have friends who come for brunch, and then they stay for a coffee, for a tea, then it's like, oh, the afternoon, you know, snacks, and then the aperitif, and then we're like, okay, tomorrow's Monday, we have to go, <laughs> we have to go to bed. But, it, like, it can just, you know, last for a whole day. So it's, I, I've always loved that, you know. Um, yeah. You're very free to, to 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 do it all day long. Well, now you've re- you've organized your book according to the seasons, uh, which is also um, they what what is expected now. I mean, I think everybody's very conscious of seasons now. Um, what do you think that that you bring to this entertaining lifestyle uh, that that's kind of uniquely you? Is there a quirky something you do that nobody else does? Well, I feel like and so it could be even with the recipes and with the tables. I've had a lot of so it's like mostly women who follow me um, on either the newsletter and social media or the YouTube channels and everything. But um, but a lot of them weren't um, very confident about uh, cooking or about entertaining, and so I want to do things so that people feel you know they they gain in confidence and they. Uh, they're happy about it, and they're not stressed when they're preparing, you know, a recipe or a table or a buffet. Um, and so I think I sort of um, have that sort of relaxed, um, um, stress-free uh, way of doing it and, and sort of uh, um, asking people to, to, to sort of uh, listen to their creativity and, and to go with it. You know, um, we don't need to buy, uh, you know, like, you know, tons of the same, like 10 or 20 new glasses, you know, so that they're all the same. I think it's good to sort of mix them up and everything. And so I think all of that makes everything, you know, creates less stress and, uh, and makes it much easier um, for, for people to, to, to enjoy these moments uh, with friends at home. You know, uh, who was your collaborator on this book? Tell us about him. Uh, for, the, for the photography? Yeah, this stuff is my husband. Oh, okay. All <laughs> right. He's, that, yeah, that's he's something I didn't know. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. and how convenient <laughs> a living photographer. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and the thing is, Christophe's uh, a photographer. He's a film director, and he composes music. He's very talented. Uh, but um, it's funny because before I started Miss Maggie's Kitchen, he was uh, doing mostly beauty and fashion photography. And uh-huh. um, when I decided to do a little booklet for friends and family, he said, you know, I'm going to improvise and try to take some lifestyle pictures, you know, something that I've never done. And in a way, I feel like that gives it sort of a different uh, eye and touch because he only shoots with natural light. Um, everything stays very natural, which is important to me because I don't want to cheat so that 
when people try to, you know, when they make a recipe, it looks exactly like it is on the picture. It does. It, there's nothing where we don't cheat. Um, I always tell everyone, you know, we we've eaten everything that that you see that's photographed in the picture. Uh, we've sat at every table, so it's not just a just a make believe sort of sort of thing, you know. Um, usually we eat old because we take pictures we have to wait, but we've eaten yeah. everything, so we don't cheat with everything. And so I think that gives it sort of this softness. Um, and realism, and so people can sort of project themselves, and um, and emotionally, I think it touches them more, you know, than something that's in a very cold and sort of studio atmosphere. Yeah. Now, I I think that uh, if you can sum up your general philosophy of of, of the book, um, you kind of lay it out in, in early on when you have the seven tips for creating beautiful tablescapes. I mean, that tells mm-hmm. you a lot about how you're going to proceed with the rest of the, the, uh, the, the entertaining. Why don't you run through some of those for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's, um, people always ask me for tips. So I, I, um, I, I think it's always interesting to give them something that's going to be sort of very clear. So definitely you want to think about, like, sort of the theme that you're going to want to create so that it gives it um, the style that you're going to want to give it. Is it going to be something that's, you know, like a very, uh, like summer fruits or barbecue, or are you going to go for something that's going to be sort of very, like, a country, uh, country western look or something? So to sort of think of that, you know. Um, then, you know, I think flowers and, and, uh, and seasonal produce are always great for your tables and they make it easy to, to decorate them. So, uh, and it goes usually well with the menu that you're going to serve. So I think putting, you know, um, flowers of the season is wonderful. You can find them either at a forest or you can find them when you're walking around, you know, in a park or in nature. Um, or it could be like if you're in Florida, it could be, you know, finding beautiful seashells on, uh, along the walk on the beach. Um, uh, but to, to, you know, decorate with that. Um, I love um, also playing with, uh, I feel like when we play with sort of different uh, materials and fabrics, I feel like yeah. that sort of gives, you know, rhythm to the to the table. So you could mix like uh, vintage ceramic uh, plates with like wooden bowls and, and uh, artisan made, um, you know, pottery uh, candle holders, for instance, you know, so you can really sort of, uh, and then bring in some brass or something with it. So it sort of gives a rhythm to, 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 to everything. Um, one thing I always tell people is to be very careful um, with the height of the... Of the yeah, no, that's something that nobody... I was really struck by that because I think that's so important and so few people have any awareness of it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Talk to our listeners about that. Consider the height of things. Yeah. Well, I, think, I feel like when you're going to have a t- table and if you're going to put... a um, like whether it's candles or flowers or anything that you can put in the center of your table, if it's going to hit right at the level of your of your eyesight, you won't be able to. You'll always be sort of moving your head to see the person yeah. you know that's sort of across from you, and it's not, it's not enjoyable, you know. No. So I think even if you have something that's sort of a beautiful creation that you want to put at first, or when when your guests arrive, then I would definitely. You remove it and put it on one of the sides of the table or on another, you know, counter or somewhere else. But because it's not, it's really always it's uh, it's it's not uh, something that's very enjoyable to have to move around all the time to be able to see right. you know the person across from you. Um, but you know, the other so thing what, is though about height is um, if everything is at the same height, it gets very boring visually. Ex- it, exactly. So, exactly. And yeah. 
And that could be with glasses as well, too. That's why I say you yeah. mix glasses, because you can have different types of wine glasses. And it takes off so that sort of that too um, stuffy and classical look to it. And sort of, uh, so you can have all vintage glasses, but then they, it's going to be, it's going to, you know, sort of give it rhythm um, to, your, to your table as well, too, to, you know, with the eyes, the eyesight. So, um, yeah, no, do, um, do I remember correctly you said, in, in France, no one would put a champagne glass on the table. Yeah. Well, it's one of the was rules, that, that you know, one of the old classic rules. Yeah, it is me. That champagne is to be served before before the meal, but then you don't have champagne at the table. And I feel like you know a whole meal where you have champagne is wonderful. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think you have to sort of break the rules. You know, it's fun to know them. Um, just the way even like um, in, in you know between France and um, and uh, England, the way that you're going to place your fork is different. But that was all due to where the initials were engraved on the fork because you wanted the initials to be to the top. You know, so people could see them that you had. You know, um, a fork I never knew that. Your initials. Yeah, yeah. I never knew so that. All those, but I feel like you have to sort of break those rules, you know, like it's fun to, to sort of like, also in France, you have to know that when you have people sit down and decide to place them, um, for young couples or couples who are, I would say, engaged or, or and married for their first year, you don't separate them. So you have to put them next to, to one another. <laughs> and, and after, yeah, so after they're, they're married and they've been married for a year, then you can separate them. You have those, so it's little uh, rules uh, like that. You have a section here about uh, creating the perfect cheese board. I have to ask you this because I've been asking all, uh, most of the entertaining um, uh, uh, tip books I get uh, what people think of the butter board. <laughs> oh, I don't like the butter board. I've seen that in the U.S. Not, it hasn't come to France yet, but I've seen that in the U.S. And I don't like the butter board. I, I love, I love sort of kissing my butters and putting things in, but I'll, I'll do one, you know. But a whole butter board? Uh, Isn't I don't that know. disgusting? I, am I the oh, only one? I mean, I it's like a it. huge trend. I don't understand why don't people think it's wonderful. I don't know, and I, I'm hoping it stays in the U.S. and doesn't cross over to Europe. I don't understand. Well, that, that, would be a pro, that would be a problem in, in uh, Normandy, right? Is, is, is well, Norm, yeah, Normandy the home of French butter? They love butter. Well, Normandy and Brittany. I live, you know, with a, with a husband who's from Brittany, and so if we have butter that does, that's, that's unsalted butter in the home, like, it's a crisis. Like, he, they only have, uh, you know, salt. And so you have to fill the, you have to, you know, taste the crystals and everything. So yeah, it would, it would definitely be a mess. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't think you'll ever see me do a butter board. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sure don't intend to ever do one. That's for sure. Um, it, here's something I always screw up, and you have it as, as a necessity for entertaining. It, don't forget the music. I'm always in a bind as to what, what is appropriate music for an event. Well, I think you want music that's, um, you know, the whole event is going to be about, um, it's, it's going to reach to, to your different senses. So you're going to see, you know, with your eyes, you're going to feel, uh, like, and touch, you know, like a tablecloth or like a little gift that you're getting, you're going to taste the, the food, you're going to smell it as well. And then I feel like you're going to hear, and you're going to hear the laughter and the talks and the music. You don't want the music to be too loud so that it doesn't over, so it becomes complicated to, to right. speak, uh, you know, to, to everyone around the table. But I feel like you always need music that sometimes is going to sort of uh, touch that sort of emotional 
um, you know, like emotional side to you. So I always love to put either some like some jazz music or I love, I love oldies with goodies, you know, or uh, it could be some like, uh, uh, you know, Elvis Presley or, you know, you just, you can mix it up, but, uh, but uh, I wouldn't put anything that's sort of like rock and roll, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, but something that's yeah. going to be, uh, that's going to be some, uh, that's going to, where people are going to remember it, you know, so it's sort of from their past, but they won't, so they'll be, you know, they can bring it up at some point point. be like, oh, this song reminds me of like, I don't know, college or of this, you know, this time we went out and went fishing and da da da. But like, you don't, um, you don't want it to be too present during, during the meal at least. You yeah, know? a good way to kill a party is, is play this, the soundtrack of what did the fox say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kills the dead. I mean, nobody can even... No, you, you have a you have a whole new sound sensation coming to you soon. Dolly Parton exactly. and, Elton, and Elton John. Yeah, that's great. Ah, and a couple of other people. Uh, too. Yeah, that's good. That's wonderful. Yeah, Peter noticed something here uh, that um, you you decorated um, this one dish with chive blossoms, which I do all the time. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I was I was more um, interested in in your roasted radish salad because I I've, I've tried it roasted radishes and and it's really they're really good. It's super. I mean, the people delicious. really reacted received them very well. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I think it's always great to play and to sort of. Um, to try things anyway and to see how uh, when uh, to, to roast things that you're not used to roasting and, and mixing them up with other things. I know this recipe, um, one of my sons loves it. Um, and he's not, and he doesn't really like uh, radishes when they're raw, like, you know, when they're not, when they're not cooked. Right. But, uh, they're roasted like this, he loves them. Yeah. yeah they, I so also, I like your ice, orange, and pistachio cookies. It looks fabulous. Oh yeah, that's delicious. No, that's very good. You know, I, t- I taste all of the recipes on the, on the, um, on my three men. So my husband and my two sons, <laughs> they get oh, really? they, they, they taste everything, and then and then I adapt if I if I if I have to. But I I always love to um I love citrus. I, maybe it's from growing up in in, uh, in uh, Florida, you know. But uh, I feel like the zest of oranges or lemon. Um, or or lines or thing always brings this like extra little sort of like pizzazz to a to a to a dish or to cookies, but and it can be like visually, but also in the taste, you know. Yeah. Now I was struck okay. by uh, in terms of what things look like is your pear in um, pastry dish. I mean, those are gorgeous. Ah. Yeah. Thank I've, you. I've Actually, always done you know, them in, in red wine, and, you know, I mean, they, they taste okay. They never look very good. <laughs> no, they, this, this one works very well. And um, I'm actually right now, I signed the, the menu of a, of a restaurant in Paris for a few months. Uh, one of at the Pratensman, which is one of the big department stores, and it's uh, one of the desserts we put on the menu, and it's one of the desserts that gets, you know, like ordered the most there. People love it. Uh, yeah. Because the the pear is a little warm, and then you can you know uh, with like you can put a little cinnamon, or you can put a little jam between the the the, the pastry dough and the and the and the pear. Yeah, that sounds makes it wonderful. Super comforting, yeah, super comforting but, and perfect. At, you know, this time of the year. Well, you have a gussy side to you too, because I don't know many people, including myself, that would actually serve grilled sardines. 
<laughs> party. <laughs> Although we used to have a, a sardine party, but that was different because there was a large um, contingent of Portuguese. You know? <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I once actually ventured to serve um, calamari um, uh, with mm-hmm. it, not not fried, but um, that was very careful not to to keep uh, not to uh, reveal any tentacles. Or anything like that. Yeah, I just did the white part. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. I think. And also, that's the difference between also. I think France and in the U.S. is that in France you tend to have you know like the the whole like the whole fish with the head and everything, and in the U.S. Oh, you yeah, tend yeah, to not yeah. show everything. Um, right. But. Uh, I think that's a little uh, so. So yeah, perhaps it, perhaps it's gutsy for 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 here. That's true. <laughs> so and but the, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I love spinach pie here. You have that recipe, oh, interesting recipes. So yeah. yeah. Um. And yeah, uh, this one, this frosted pistachio cake. That's gorgeous. Uh, that's absolutely it's, gorgeous. It, it, it's, it's really good. And super moist, and it, uh, it it never lasts very long at home. <laughs> it always tends to disappear very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I like to mix. Yeah, I like to. I think I feel like you know my my recipes are quite easy. If you look at the ingredients and everything, I want things to be for people to find them you know easily, and and people to be able to adapt the recipes to their you know taste or to their what they have at home. So you can mix you know and and swap like and use different nuts or different herbs or whatever. But I want people to feel very free and so that recipes become their own. You know, I, I, I sort of propose a base and then um, I'm happy if people do it that way, but I'm also happy when people send me a message and be like, oh, hey, I tried it with, you know, like pecans instead of hazelnuts and it was, it was delicious. And I think that's wonderful, you know. Um, recipes are meant to be shared and to, be, and to become your own and sort of to become the family recipes. So, so I think that's always really, really great. I've, I've asked this question again uh, with people um, who have written about entertaining is what is your ideal size for a um, a dinner party? Huh. I think it depends on the the space we have, but I I like to have about um, between 8 and 10. Really? That's sort of what I was focused in on. I've had some people say (laughs) 4. I mean, oh, that's hardly counts, difference. does it? <laughs> yeah, that's different. So that's we're four every day, but but uh, but, uh, but I think I think between eight and ten. And then if you have a buffet, if you do like during the summers when we do sort of more buffet style, uh, like you know lunches or barbecues, then we can be a little more. But I feel like if you want to be able to spend time with your guests and uh, and everything, I think that around like eight or ten is is nice, and people get to mingle that's and kind meet of what I and like uh, too, yeah. you know. That's my yeah. ideal too. And I, I, I have one final question here. Is um, I was startled to find out and then thought what an ingenious idea is. You have um, a recipe for homemade fortune cookies. Just tell us a little bit about that. Uh, What's the your rationale? Yeah, you know, I've, always, I've always loved uh, fortune cookies. 
it's something that like I it's a memory from I think from from, from childhood, and I figured I always um for for special occasions or special dinner parties I I always love to come up with like uh, something a little special for guests, and um and one day I thought hey maybe I can make my own fortune cookies and I could get the boys involved so that they can write little notes you know uh, in them so they're actually really easy to make uh, simple ingredients the the one trick about the fortune cookies is you have to make them in batches and act quickly because uh, if you make too many at a time and they will actually like once they they dry then you won't be able to to, yeah they'll harden you won't be able to shape them in the right way so I always do like maybe three or four max at at one time so you have time to to sort of uh, you know insert the little notes and um, and uh, and press them and and put them in the right shape but then they last forever so you can make you can make them in advance and put them in a big jar you know and uh, and, some uh, of them taste like they've been around forever Actually, you get them in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, restaurants, yeah, definitely a lot more. But then you can have fun with it. You know, they, you can uh, definitely put like even like um, I love orange blossoms. So I always always put uh, orange uh, uh, flower water in it. It gives it a little taste. But you could you could play it and put you know a little uh, rose water if that's what you like, or you could do it with a little pistachio paste, or you know really just uh, add on to to whatever you feel like for the for, for them, or dip them in maybe like dip like part of a in uh, in chocolate and be careful with the little note that you put inside. I mean, there's, there's, you know, you can really have fun with them. They're easy to, to make. It's just that once you've had, once they, they bake, you really, I mean, you bake them by batches and you act, you have to act quickly because if not, they'll, you won't be able to shape them and they'll break. But it's fun and it's fun getting other people involved. And so you could also, yeah. I mean, if you don't have children, you could, you know, write little notes yourself and like for the new year or, you know, blessings for, for, for the year to come or for the holidays or for a birthday. Um, I think they're, they're, you know, it could be a great gift for, for a friend. Well, I, I thank you. And I think that our listeners are going to welcome uh, this book um, called My Art of Entertaining. Um, Recipes and Tips from Miss Maggie's Kitchen by Eloise Brion, who is described as a globetrotter. <laughs> and it's been a pleasure <laughs> to catch you <laughs> and be able to chat. Thank you both. Thank Have you both. Fun. I hope we'll meet in person. Yes. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank party you. together, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank Eloise, you. thank you. Au revoir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.